Welcome back. I'm Ashley, your hostess for The Sharp End. This is my one year anniversary of this show. I came up with the idea last November and pitched it to the AAC. I launched my first rough around the edges show 12 months ago. And so I wanted to thank all the listeners for keeping me stoked. Thanks to Josh for buying me my first microphone. And thanks to Dougald, the editor of Accidents and North American Climbing for the constant support. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club. And now, in its 12th month, I'm happy to announce that the show is, wait for it, sponsored by Mammut. Designed and developed in the Swiss Alps, Mammut has been making the finest alpine equipment since 1862. Driven by a continuous quest for innovation, Mammut's technical clothing, footwear, climbing gear, avalanche safety, and alpine equipment are distinguished by the highest quality, functionality, and safety. They embody Swiss technology and perfection. Mammut, absolute alpine. Have you ever climbed in Joshua Tree National Park? It's a beautiful place and a popular climbing destination. Today, I chat with David. He is a passionate rock climber and has a story to tell. Hey, David, welcome to the show. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, uh, yeah, my name is David Fogel. Um, I've been climbing a few years and uh, happy to be on the show. Thanks. How old are you, David? I'm 31. 31, and where do you live? I live in Orange County, California. And you're an avid climber? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Totally fell in love with climbing. Um, I love pretty much anything related to climbing. Um, got into it back in like 2012 and slowly started graduating onto um, better things. Uh, I started top roping and then sport climbing, then got into trad. Uh, I definitely love trad climbing. So, What do you love about trad climbing? Uh, I like how you assume... Uh, 100% responsibility um, for for everything. You know, like you're you're re- you're relying on your own gear placements. Um, you know, you, you you factor in your own safety, safety of your your partner. Um, you know, you take your own risk assessment. Uh, yeah, it's just this all inclusive. Like I don't know. I, I think it's like the real deal. You know, for climbing in general. Um, although I, I do love sport climbing and. And everything as well um but yeah there's just something really just awesome about trad that i love and uh i'm hoping to get back out there (laughs) eventually so what was your first ever trad climb uh my first ever trad climb uh that was ain't nothing but a j tree thing and that was a five six like i don't know maybe 40 feet out in joshua tree um so it's just a really good recommended uh, climb for the aspiring leader. Um, so that was my first one. I totally got the shakes and was super nervous. Um, but I mean, I was ready for it, but, uh, yeah, that was my first lead. I'll always remember that one. It's really good. Uh, it was a good one. (laughs) Do you go to Joshua tree often? Yeah, that's my main, uh, jungle gym. Uh, I love it out there. I totally fell in love with Joshua tree. Um, I went there as a kid and I loved boulder scrambling. I'd go camping with my parents, and uh, I just loved hopping around 
rocks and boulders and uh i'd pretty much try to go there every weekend um particularly the past couple years yeah yeah i just i love it it's only about two hours away so i just work the weekdays and then charge it up on the weekends so yeah and your last time climbing was when Uh, The last time climbing was when I I made a huge mistake and uh, injured myself pretty bad. Um, I was out in Indian Cove, and uh, that was on November 12th. Where's Indian Cove? Indian Cove's outside the park, actually. It's not in the park. Most most visitors uh, go through the west entrance. Uh, Indian Cove is kind of out by 29 Palms. It's on the outskirts of Joshua Tree. Um, but there's some good climbing there. Um, it's, uh, notorious for its graininess. So it's got some sandy, grainy badness, um, there in some spots, but, uh, it's generally pretty good. Nice. So your last time climbing was in November, this November, November, 2016, Mm -hmm. which was only a month ago. Yeah. Not too, not too recently. Yeah. Climbing in Indian Cove. Uh, with a partner you normally climb with or um yeah this was a new climber I met through a friend and uh yeah yeah solid solid lead belayer um so I had no no worries about that um but yeah yeah we went out this was our third time climbing together um on the 12th and that's when I had my accident yeah so what climb were you on um, I don't even remember the name of the climb, to be honest. Um, I know it was a, we warmed up on a 5.6, and then I linked that pitch up with a 5.9. Um, so I kind of warmed up on that, and then uh, brought her up to this ledge, and then uh, we went to, uh, we linked it to a, a 5.9. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure what the, the route name was, but those were the ratings, and I think they were pretty accurate. So, yeah. Okay. So you're at the bottom of the climb, you're getting all tied in. Um, yeah, what happens? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I led two pitches. I got up to the, the top of the formation and um, basically um, coiled the rope. And we were just talking, and it was a good, good couple pitches. Um, it was only like 100 feet. Um, so I think each pitch is around 50 feet. Um, we got up to the top and, and I talked about the importance of, uh, finding your own way off. You know, sometimes you look in the guidebook and it says, you know, walk off to the left or walk off the back of the formation. It doesn't really give you a lot of detail. So you gotta, uh, you know, figure it out yourself. And we're in a, we're in a safe location. It was, um, definitely, um, I don't know, like class three at the top there. So she led a a way down like a like a wide crack and it looked pretty promising at first and I thought that was possibly the walk off that everybody else uses um but then it kind of went down and and then it pretty soon it dropped off to about a 20 foot drop just a vertical 20 foot drop to a wide ledge um and that wide ledge was a part of another walk off as well um so the ledge looked safe down below um and so I used that as an opportunity to show her how to build a gear anchor. Um, there's some really good cracks. And so I made a bomber anchor and uh, just ended up, instead of her wrapping, I just lowered her down to the ledge. And then she went off belay. She was in a safe location, um, had her move off to the side um, just in case anything fell or if I fell, um, she'd be out of the way. So she was definitely in a safe location. Um, 
we we got a late start that day and I was kind of in a rush to just do as many pitches as possible. Um, and yeah, I made, I made a very poor choice. Um, uh, there, there were, you know, a, a variety of things I could have done to do that safely to prevent injury. Um, and you know, I could have, could have bailed off a of gear. I could have used gear, could have been plugging that below me to down climb. I could have protected myself and I didn't, um, I could have just went back up that wide crack, which was really safe and, uh, found, you know, the walk off that everybody else uses. Um, but I didn't do that. Um, I, I, I did it pretty haphazardly. Um, and I just decided to down climb unprotected. Um, so definitely a poor choice and I'm definitely suffering the consequences of that now. Um, and I've, learned a lot and I'm still processing everything. But, uh, I think I needed to be more in touch with my limits. Um, I, I thought I could do it and I, d I did not think that falling would happen. Um, I just really didn't think I, I would fall at all. And I fell. You fell. Uh, I cleaned the gear and then, um, just racked it up. And then, then I just started down climbing, um, without any protection. Um, but yeah, I started, climbing down. I only made it about five feet down and, uh, I got in this really grainy spot and it was just really difficult, um, position for my body to kind of move around in. And so what I did was I, I eventually, I kind of went right. I kind of traversed right a little bit to readjust my positioning, um, my center of gravity. And, uh, I had some, what I thought was a good foothold, um, so I stuck my right hand out on a really good, like a jug, like a really good hold. And then when I moved to get my left hand over there, my toe slipped. And when I slipped, um, I totally lost it and fell, fell about, um, we think about 10 to 15 feet, somewhere in between there. Um, and then I fell on the ledge. The ledge was really wide. Um, you know, if, if there wasn't a ledge down below me, um, I probably would not have decided to do that uh, just because you would just keep falling. Um, you know, I knew the ledge would stop me. I, I, I just really didn't think I was going to fall. Um, I fell and uh, I, I fell on my left foot, my ankle, um, and busted it pretty bad. And I, I was wearing a helmet like I always do. And I rocked my head pretty good. I hit my head against the rock and... Um, yeah, it was amazing. Like, I really think if I was not wearing a helmet, um, I might not be here right now talking, uh, or living and, um, or I'd be, you know, in the hospital still, um, with a, you know, traumatic brain injury or something like that. Um, so that, that helmet really saved me. Um, and fortunately I didn't have any spinal damage. So there was no other issue with my body. I wasn't even sore. Like my, my back wasn't even hurting at all. And my head was fine thanks to the helmet. But, um, yeah, I had a, what's called a pilon fracture, which is a pretty rare fracture, um, of the tibia, which is your shin bone. Um, you have a, a large bone in your, in your foot, like below your knee. And then, uh, there's a fibula, which is next to that. That's a smaller bone, but the, uh, the shin bone, the tibia is the larger bone. And that basically broke through, uh, hit the rock and then, and then bounced back up and, and did like an exit wound, I guess, out of the back of my ankle. So the bone came out and, uh, 
the doctor described it as a bunch of chiclet sized pieces of bone missing. So a bunch of the bone shot out and I'm still, you know, the bone's still out there right now in the desert. Um, and uh, about a week ago I had a bone graft surgery. And so they put, um, bone from like, a another human that's been like cleaned and radiated and stuff. And so I have a bunch of bone in me right now from, from some dead body. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, so like the, so the, a missing bone, I, I lost most of my cartilage, unfortunately. Um, my foot was, was sticking out when I looked at it at first. Uh, it was completely twisted around. Um, like if your toes were 12 o'clock and your heel was six o'clock, uh, my, my toes were three o'clock and my heel was nine o'clock. But, uh, I'm still picturing I, the foot, and I'm full, I'm really, really yeah, grossed out. I finally got a picture. I got a picture uh, yesterday. I, I called the doctor like every single weekday, bothering uh, the receptionist because uh, he promised me to send me the picture from his iPhone. Um, the doctor snapped a picture of it before he started doing the surgery, so it's it's just yeah, it's just my it's just my bone sticking out of my leg. It looks pretty pretty gnarly. What, what was uh, it like looking at? I mean, yes, you were, of course you were in shock, but do you remember yeah. much of that experience of, of, um, looking at your foot and, and clearly yeah. seeing it's not, wait a minute, that's not how it's supposed to look. There's a bone right there. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at it and I, I immediately knew, uh, I had a bad injury. I could, I could clearly see bone sticking out. And, um, the first thing I did was I, I started pinching my, my toenails, uh, to see if I could feel. And fortunately, I had sensation to each of my digits. Interesting, uh, so, really. Yeah, so I was able to I was able to pinch and feel, and I was like, okay, that's good. Um, and I was also trying to do what's called capillary refill, where you pinch the nail bed and it blanches white, and then the blood returns uh, to the nail bed. And if it re- if blood or red color basically returns to your nail bed within three seconds, then that means you're you have adequate perfusion. Um, just basically adequate, uh, blood flow. So, um, I was pinching my nail beds and, and it looked like I was, you know, the the blood was coming back to my, to my, uh, nail beds. So that was good. Um, so I did that. Uh, my, my partner basically like was like, Oh, I see some bones sticking out. Like I'm going to go get some help, you know? And you're like, thank you. Thanks. (laughs) Yes. Fortunately, <laughs> the the ledge was a part of a walk off, so she that that ledge is a pretty safe walk off, um, and so she used that to go get help. Um, and I also hollered uh, like a few minutes later, like I was hollering for somebody, and somebody could hear me down there. And I told them to call nine one one, and they said okay. Nine one one was activated at least twice uh, through my partner, and then through somebody. Fortunately, somebody was down there that could hear me yelling. Um, I was only about 40 to 50 feet off the deck, um, so that ledge is pretty short. It's not like um, it's pretty close to the ground. It took me a while. I was in a lot of shock, and a lot of blood was coming out. Um, it wasn't like arterial spurting, but uh, it was oozing out like pretty pretty rapidly. Um, I went into what's called hypovolemic shock, which is uh, shock from blood loss. There are actually several different types of shock caused by traumatic injuries. But in David's case, he was experiencing hypovolemic shock. 
This type of shock is caused by severe dehydration or loss of one liter or more of blood. Now keep in mind that your body only has about five liters of blood. Think of hypovolemic shock like the body system is having a fluid problem. So about one to two liters of blood was lost, um, which is, um, you know, a lot. You know, if you think of like a Nalgene bottle, that's like a liter, you know, and there's a lot of blood. That's a uh, lot of blood, yeah. And so I was, I was really out of it. It's kind of funny because I'm a nice guy. Like all my friends think I'm a nice guy. You know, I'm, I'm never a mean person. But, you know, if you <laughs> if I lose that much blood, I, 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 I mean, I don't think everybody gets aggressive, but I, I got – I got really aggressive and, um, you know, hours later I was like borderline combative. Um, well, there's was, an acronym for that, right? It's called the being, being a dickhead, D I C head, uh, yeah. disoriented, irritable and combative. And that's, that's, um, it, basically a result of going into shock or being in shock. So you were just being a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was definitely being a dick that day. That's funny. <laughs> heard of that acronym before that's that's funny um yeah yeah I was I really was I I was I was refusing treatment um I mean people were trying to help me and you know I was just I was being a total dick um and uh it got so bad even later on like um I was refusing treatment and uh the paramedic just left like the the rig left the ambulance just took off and I delayed my own transport by about an hour uh, just because I was so uh, combative and aggressive and angry, and it took me a few minutes to to really kind of figure out what was going on, and I wasn't really thinking straight. Um, so yeah, I was like pinching my pinching my toes, and I mean, I could I tried folding my foot over, and it was like it was so easy to just flop my foot over in any direction. Like I could just I could point it any direction. It was it was just hanging on by some tendon and skin, basically. And, uh, yeah, I had like tunnel vision, you know, I'm in shock. I'm not thinking straight. Um, I remember thinking like, I'm like, I need to tie, I need to tie this off and I need to stop the bleeding. Um, so I just used pressure basically with a gear sling and tied my ankle off and, and that stopped the bleeding at that point. It wasn't oozing out, you know, it would kind of ooze out every few seconds and then stop and then ooze out again. And, um, so I was able to stop the bleeding, um, just by applying pressure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that 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 was a good thing to do. Um, I was able to like monitor my pulse. Um, it was very, uh, it was thready, and but um, I mean at least I could check and you know I could kind of do some vitals myself. Um, you know I'd taken a pretty significant hit to the head and and all that blood loss. So um, I don't remember everything that happened up there. I don't remember everything that happened when I got down. Um, but about a few hours later, um, California highway patrol had shown up a helicopter. Um, and so the helicopter, he, uh, he basically repelled out of the helicopter, came down to me, um, kind of talked to me and I, w- I was even trying to refuse a helicopter at that point. And, uh, he finally convinced me to take the helicopter, which, which really saved the day. And I really appreciate um, you know, just him working with me and everything. Cause I was very stubborn, um, about that. I just wanted to be lowered 40 feet and I was very obsessed about that. Um, what was the, what was the obsession about just you thinking about, um, how much it would cost or something? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was it was mostly financial. <laughs> yeah, I was worried I was gonna get a, a bill for it. Yeah, that's a real that's a real concern for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I was worried about that. I mean, <laughs> he like he rappelled down, and I was like, I mean, I told him. I, re- I specifically remember saying like, I can't afford a helicopter. But yeah, yeah. He uh, he basically he he rappelled, and then they they lower the cage, the Stokes leader, and then uh, he put me in that, and then um. They, they they wrap you up in the in the Stokes leader and then I started to ascend. Um, unfortunately, I crashed into the wall, um, roughly like twenty feet up. So on the way up, uh, I I slammed in the wall and unfortunately, the first thing to hit the wall was my my left leg. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that really hurt. Um, I would describe that as uh, nine out of ten pain. I think that was probably the worst pain I've ever felt in my whole life. Uh, it hit the wall and then I started, I started spinning in like three sixties on the way up. Um, so it was, it was this like violent ascent to the top of the helicopter. Um, and so, yeah, that, that certainly made me dizzy. And, uh, I was able to, uh, yell to uh, another officer in the helicopter. Uh, he popped his head out and he had this huge helmet and, um, I just kept yelling, you know, my left foot, my left foot, my left foot. I just said it, um, like a dozen times until he could like hear what I was saying because it's really noisy under the turbine blades and you know dirt and particles are flying into your eyes and stuff it was really intense um and they basically just uh secured me to the side of the helicopter and then just lowered me in an open field and then they dropped me there and then a bunch of people picked me up and took me over to the ambulance and now you're in recovery mode um, David, can you give the listeners some advice? Um, yeah, I would say, I would say to any listeners to, to really be honest with yourself as far as what your limits are. Um, I think there's a lot of ego in climbing and it's easy for climbers to get comfortable, um, you know, climbing and, and just getting out there and then they, they, they just increase the risk factor, um, unnecessarily. And uh, sometimes you just get lucky, you know, and you don't really know what kind of danger you're actually putting yourself in. Um, also, like if you can protect it, you know, protect it. You know, like in my case, I, I did not protect it and I, I had opportunity to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, that's something I have to live with now. Um, but uh, I'd also just, you know, encourage uh, redundancy. And I, I think a lot of climbers um, get complacent and, Um, they just get comfortable doing what they're doing and they don't spend extra time researching, um, self rescue or, you know, high angle rescue. Um, you could also look into basic first aid and it doesn't take too much time to educate yourself on stuff like that. And you could really save your life or your partner's life or somebody you really care about. I mean, there's really, there's really no need, like in my situation, um, I didn't, I did not need to do what I did, and uh, it's it's too bad that that happened. But you know, it, you know, pain is a good teacher, and I'm definitely learning from it now. Well said, David. Pain is a good teacher. Well, thanks, David, for being with me on the Sharp End podcast. I wish you a healthy and speedy recovery. Remember that you can also just backtrack. Once you realize that you are off route, just consider turning around and looking for an alternative option. It may not seem like the fastest or most efficient option, but 
it could also end up saving you time in the long run. Many climbers worry about the cost of rescue, but I want to tell you that most rescue agencies in the United States do not charge for their services. When an accident does cost money, the American Alpine Club's rescue benefits can be a big help. The AAC members automatically get up to $12,500 of rescue benefits for domestic and international climbs. If you want to learn more, look for the rescue tab at AmericanAlpineClub.org. David's younger brother started a GoFundMe page to help with the medical bills. If you'd like to donate to David's recovery, type in David, F-O-G-A-L, that's Fogel, on the GoFundMe website. Again, thanks to all you listeners. And if you have a story you want to share on the sharp end, please send me an email at accidents at AmericanAlpineClub.org. This episode is sponsored by Mammut, Absolute Alpine. Until next time, play hard and be smart.